Welcome, welcome, welcome into the QC Hornet's Nest, a podcast powered by the Charlotte Observer. I'm your host and resident beat writer, Rod Boone. Each week, we'll have the latest buzz, news, and nuggets on the Charlotte Hornets. I'll be telling you the stories other shows won't and giving you the inside access other shows can't. So are you ready? Okay, let's go. Let's get it. Well, I want to first start off by welcoming everybody into the QC Hornets Nets once again. But I want to, in particular, just wish everybody a happy holidays. Because, as we know, it's a very festive part of the calendar year. And we've all been dealing with our own different things during this pandemic. So hopefully you're able to find some holiday cheer at this time of the season. For the Hornets, it hasn't been that kind of cheery situation for them lately. They have really struggled on the road trip. We knew it was going to be a difficult one for them because the trip itself was tough enough going from Texas up to Portland and then down to Utah. Phoenix and over into Denver, but it's been really difficult because they just haven't been able to find anything for four quarters other than just that one game in San Antonio, which was their one win on this road trip leading into the game against Denver on Thursday. Their final game before taking a little break for Christmas and reconvening for a game against the Houston Rockets at home on Monday. But the Hornets lost three or four games heading into their matchup with the Nuggets. And if you look at it, all those losses were horrendous. It started in Dallas, which was really just a tough one for him because they, again, got down early and had to kind of scrap and fight their way back, but never seemed to really make it a game. And it was one of those outcomes where it was really hard for you to kind of extract anything other than, hey, the Hornets are not good enough to sit there and take a couple of punches from the opposing team and act like they can stand in the ring and and be there in the fourth quarter, they're not good enough to be able to do that just yet. But in Dallas, Dallas the situation, and they corrected it in San Antonio, you thought, hey, maybe they had fixed things and they were getting players back. And that's part of it too, is we know that they were dealing with a lot of different issues. They had five players out, led by their star point guard, LaMelo Ball, who was one of the first players to go on the health and safety protocols list back on December 4th. But then Terry Rozier trickled back and he was available for them in Dallas. And then Mason Plumley, Jalen McDaniels came back into the mix in San Antonio. And then LaMelo Ball and Ishmith were back in Portland. But in Portland, it, they didn't have a very good game. 
and definitely was not the same, same way. Pretty much, they had, they had a really horrific game in Phoenix against the Suns. That game was over in the first quarter. And that's kind of one of the issues the Hornets have been having lately is they've been getting down really, really big in the fourth quarter. Excuse me, excuse me the first quarter. Which means by the fourth quarter, they've had to expend so much energy that not sure they really have it, especially on the road. You know, at home, maybe you have the crowd behind you, a little more of a adrenaline shot. On the road, it's the opposite. You have to fight through all that negativity, fight through the crowd trying to will their team on. And the Hornets have not been able to do that. So it's very important for them to figure out this issue they're having where they can't start off games fast enough and they're trailing by 20 points going through the second quarter. That's not going to cut it. And what's happening in that regard, it seems like, is the opposing team is coming out and making their shots. They're hitting them. They're feeling good about themselves. The Hornets are not hitting their shots. They're bricking them. They're clanking them. They're doing anything and everything other than going through the net. So when you look at it, when your team is not making shots, the opposing team is hitting shots, you're not playing good defense. Your head doesn't feel the way it should because you're saying, wait a minute, my shot has betrayed me. And they're hitting everything. The Hornets' spirit is getting broken in these games really early. And you have to wonder why it's happening so much. And the answer most likely is because they're just a young team. Even though they have a couple of older players, when you really break it down and look at it from a perspective, the Hornets really have a young team, and they're learning on the fly. And some of their success early on in the season maybe perhaps clouded things a little bit to people on the outside, meaning that they thought they were better than what they really are, per se. The Hornets, I think, have, have a really good team. They're, they're right there. The core is good. But they're a piece or two away from being able to establish themselves as a really, really good team that can not only be a playoff team, but potentially win a first-round series, or at minimum, give the higher-seeded team a tremendous scare going at least six-plus games in a seven-game series. So the Hornets, I think more than anything, it's just the road has been a long one for them. You know, they have played 22 games on the road by the time Christmas has come, and they also will have completed both of their lengthy West Coast trips. That is semi-unusual in the NBA, where usually your road trips are kind of split up, especially the long ones on the West Coast. Maybe maybe have one, maybe have another one two months or so later. The Hornets essentially have had two West Coast trips within a matter of about six or seven weeks. So... They're going to benefit at some point, you would think, from some of these home games. And from their perspective, they can't wait to get home because it's been a very, 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 very long road trip and a ridiculous amount of road games the first two months of the season. So for the Hornets, the biggest thing for them was sustaining themselves 
and being able to at least hover around 500 so when they do get back home and start things off beginning next Monday against the Rockets at home, then they can kind of see where they're at and go from there and figure out how to maybe turn it around and get things going back in the right direction. Now it's time for our mailbag portion of the pod, and I appreciate you guys, as usual, sending your questions and being interactive with us to allow you to, you know, toss your questions to us and allow me to be able to answer them to the best of my ability to make sure you guys understand what's happening. So the first one comes from Colby Trotter on Twitter, and his handle is at Colby T211. And first of all, Colby, thanks for the question, man. I really appreciate it. Well, second of all, you got to get a picture of something on your avatar, buddy. You need to kind of get rid of that little, um, you know, just a fake generic one. I guess it's better than the old school egg they had at Twitter, but come on, give us something, please. Um, anyway, the question is, can you see the defense improving at all in the second half of the season? And I guess it's kind of a two-part question in that regard. The first is, it depends on if the guys really want to improve defensively. It's not really a scheme thing at this point. It's more of a want to and an effort thing. And the guys have to be able to want to be able to keep their man in front of them and have a little bit of pride, as Miles Bridges said a couple of times, to be able to keep your man in front of you. And if you get scored upon, to be angry about it. Um, you know, back in the days, if at the ballpark, I'm excuse me, at, at the, the park, when you go out there and playing ball, if – Somebody's up there scoring on you and and doing gestures and making moves. You want to go out there and do the same thing to them. You want to be shut up in front of no no ballers or, or no no females or anybody out there in that regard, man. You know, so you want to be able to 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 show who you are. So the Hornets have to be able to figure that out at some point and just show that they actually really want to play defense. That's the first thing. Second thing is. The defense will improve if they potentially get somebody to come in there and help as a rim protector. Because right now, they don't really have that. They have it on occasion. You know, Mason will give that to them every now and then. Um, Nick Richards will do the same thing. He'll show you every now and then that he has a little bit of a mean streak in him. We can go out there and stand right in front of the rim and, and throw shots into the sands. But the Hornets don't have anybody that intimidates you out there, and that, that pretty much scares you from going to the paint. Teams are going there at will. And until they can figure out that part of it as well, you know the defense is not going to improve the second half of the season. So to answer your question, Kobe, it's kind of a two-part thing. I don't really see it improving a whole lot. At this point, you kind of are what you are. But if they change the personnel up a little bit and maybe, you know, bring in somebody here who can alter some shots and make players think twice about coming in there, then that could potentially help them out. But right now, it's kind of hard to say for sure that the defense is going to improve in the second half of the season. So thanks again for that question. Another question here comes from Creative One on Twitter. And Twitter handle is at creative, C-R-E-A-T-I-V-1-1-2. 
And the question is, could Oubre, as in Kelly Oubre, or Cody, of course being Kelly, Cody Martin, be considered to be a more consistent starting role? I'm oh, sorry. Could Cody and Kelly Oubre be considered for a more consistent starting role to help on defense and slow offensive starts over Terry, who has struggled this year? I guess when you look at it in that regard, if that's the question that you're asking, probably not starting. Kelly has been going back and forth, as we know, starting a little bit in the rotation on times when Terry has not been able to go. But I don't see James Borrego putting Cody or Kelly out there off gate. I think he actually likes them coming off the bench to be able to kind of give them a different look on the second unit and give them some more length out there. But they have to find a way to be able to get over these slow starts like we talked about earlier because it's killing them right now. And until they can solve this issue and do it for more than just a game or two or three, then you're going to have questions like this continues to pop up and people wonder if the start in five should be changed. And, you know, James Borrego said after, you know, the game in Phoenix and, you know, even going back to the game in Portland, really, that, you know, maybe some changes could be happy. He's not really sure what, what at that point what, what has to happen and how he can figure things out in terms of making sure the start is what you want from the opening tip. Until they can break down the starting five and see if at any point it makes sense, I don't see it happening because the Mel's not going anywhere. Of course, you mentioned Terry in your question. He's a potential question mark, but I don't see him coming off the bench. I see him being a starter and I see things staying the way they are. So, um, not sure that's going to change at all, but I guess at this point, as KG would say, anything is possible. Never rule it out. But I know that James Borrego definitely wants to figure out some way to improve the team on defense. And if maybe it's bringing in one of those guys off the bench earlier, like Cody Martin off the bench even earlier, because things aren't going as well as you would like, then that may seem to happen. Uh, that's something that you may be able to look for and check and see if that's something that James Borrego does in the future. All right. So first of all, I want to thank uh, Mr. Eric Collins for joining me this week on the QC Hornets Nest podcast. Uh, He, as you guys know, is a very busy man. So Mr. Collins, welcome and thank you, sir. Hey, my pleasure. Not so busy uh, this week. Two days off in Denver, man. That's uh, that's like an eternity here in December. It seems that way, right? Isn't it crazy how the schedule works out where we're so, so much you're, you're back to back than this kind of trip you have three days in one city? It's almost unusual, right? Yeah, you know, and I'll be honest with you. I'm totally looking forward to, you know, once this trip's over with, it seems like the rest of the schedule is manageable. But we've already had these two long Western Conference road trips and uh, – 
Yeah, being on the road for 12 days in December and away from the family, man, that's that's a tall ask, man. So uh, I'm hoping the Hornets can get a W in Denver and kind of make it all worthwhile. Well, you mentioned that. Can you start there, I guess? I mean, the average person has no idea what it's like on the road for an announcer. I mean, can you just give a little bit of insight into what it's like for you guys to have to travel, especially with the pandemic going on right now? Yeah, well, um, it's obviously it's nice. It's as nice as it possibly could be. You know, we don't fly commercial. We fly with the team. And so we go from city to city, and we usually travel immediately after the game. And so once we actually get to town, um, this year in particular because of the pandemic, things have changed quite a bit, and we're encouraged not to do much at all. So it's a lot of time spending uh, time in your room. It's a lot of time just walking kind of streets by yourself, just trying to get to know downtown Denver, and before that, downtown Salt Lake City, and before that, Dallas, San Antonio, Portland, and Phoenix. So it's a lot of downtime, but it's a lot of time to think about, you know, the Hornets, about the NBA, um, about your craft. So I can't complain in that regard. It's, um, you know, as long as you can kind of you're comfortable with yourself and and keeping yourself occupied. um, We're put up in the best possible situation to succeed. You know, we've got these nice hotels and and the travel accommodations are nice, but just sometimes you do miss your family because you're gone for a long time. Right. Um, So when you're on the road like now, um, I'm sure obviously you're preparing for the games to give people this great content you give them when you're on the road and, and, and on the air and giving these great calls and everything. So what do you do to prepare for games in your hotel night before a game? Yeah, it's the same thing I've always done. Um, and it's, it probably needs to change at some point, but I won't. Um, I get these old manila folders, you know, that you used to get, you know, just to put your, I don't know what it was. And I divide them up and uh, I have everyone's name down there and all the things that I find are vital about every player. Um, but then I always make a point. This is my thing is I'll always try and have two, if not three or four, as many as I can of things that I find are interesting. Like someone told me a long time ago, I think it was my mom when I was a kid, like, Eric, if you ask the right questions and if you're nowhere to look, every single person in this world is distinctive in something that they do. You know, someone's the best at something. Someone knew someone who had some point in their life. You know, someone is related to this person. Um, so I always kind of had this eternal quest. That's what I, I like to look for. And I love working with a guy like Del Curry, who respects the fact that I'm kind of looking for goofy stuff and interesting stuff. And, and he's interested in it too. You know, some people are like, ah, who cares who the all-time leading scorer is among players born in Montana, you know, but Del kind of gets into it. And so I kind of just feed off of that. And, uh, you know, I spend my days just looking at different websites and kind of just remembering my notes and conversations that I've had in years past, newspaper articles and, and things just to, to find as much interesting stuff as I can, because to me, every game is two hours that is going to be unique and we'll never be able to get a chance to do it exactly the same way again. So we might as well make the best out of it. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, you, you always hit with that kind of stuff all the time. Those stats, I have no idea like where you're getting them from. And you mentioned one, <laughs> we were in Dallas, you mentioned Gordon is like the only Gordon <laughs> in NBA history. Like, how do you find that stuff, man? How do you come up with that kind of material? <laughs> yeah, Gordon Hayward, who, who knew? He's the only Gordon in the history. There's been a lot of guys with last names for Gordon. You know, you had Ben Gordon, you had Lancaster Gordon, Aaron Eric Gordon. Gordon. Yeah, Eric Gordon. But in terms of a first name, Gordon, he's the only one. Same thing with Seth. There's only one Seth in the history of the NBA, and that happened to be Seth Curry, which is kind of pretty cool. Uh, I can't give you all the tricks of my trade, man, but it's uh, – it's not hard to figure it out once you kind of know where to look. Okay. All right. I got you. And, I, and um, I've, I've made a living out of knowing where to look and wanting to look. You know, I remember I was a, a sideline reporter for the Chicago Bulls 
back in the 1990s. And there was this thing um, that not many people probably remember, but there was this, this is pre-internet. It was called Harvey Pollock's um, Notebook or whatever, NBA Notebook. And Harvey Pollock was the longtime um, public relations guy with the Philadelphia 76ers. And he tracked everything. Now, because this is pre-internet, you know, it was a hard copy. So he had this book that came out every single year and it would track how many times that each particular player won a jump ball. It would be how many times ever someone's called for a defensive three seconds, how many times each guy, you know, dunked the basketball. And this was just gold to me, but it wasn't up to date. But I used to travel around the country with that book and we'd go to different towns and I'd be like, uh-oh, Tony Kukoc has only dunked the basketball twice last year. He's already got two dunks here in our first half. And all of a sudden that made sense to me. And now the, the, the information is so much more accessible and it's so much more immediate. And uh, I just kind of, that's where it all started. There's this Harvey Pollock guidebook to like basketball minutia that I believed in. And I just kind of kept that going through the years, but now I had to find it in other ways. Well, you found it in many other ways. And, you know, one of your things is, is catchphrases. Uh, can you explain? I mean, I remember I talked to Steph Curry, Steph Curry about that from my story. <laughs> my insider, when they came, uh, Golden State came to town uh, you know, a month back or so, and he was talking about you and his dad and just what you guys do on TV together in your tandem, just your catchphrases. Can you explain just where they come from? Is it something you thought about? Is, is it spontaneous? How do you come up with them? Yeah, you know what? I, I played a lot of basketball when I was a kid growing up, but I never, I was on a lot of basketball teams, but I didn't play a lot. So I was always on a bench watching guys play. Um, and I was generally always with someone else who was kind of had the same sense of humor as me. And so we try and keep ourselves interested. And so we would just say something, you know, someone had a couple of buckets, you know, down low in a row. I'd say, oh man, this guy's got more moves in the paint than Picasso. And we would kind of just say that. And my buddy would say, oh, he shoots more jumpers than a rabbit hunter. Or he dribbles better than a newborn baby. That kind of stuff. And we just kind of just found him fun. And over the years, I just, it just stuck in my head. And every once in a while when I'm doing a game, it'll just remind me of something goofy that I used to say when I was sitting on the end of the bench in 10th grade. Or, and uh, it just comes out, you know. So uh, I like it. It keeps me entertained. It's 82 games, man. And like I said, it's. To me, it's a precious two-hour window that we have for 82 times of the year. And I don't want any, any minute of any game to sound like the same minute of any other game uh, at any time. It, it's got to be different to me. It's got to be unique. It's got to be pushing the envelope. And uh, it's, just, it's for my benefit, too. You know, I want to be – I want to entertain myself. I want to entertain Dell. I want to have – I want everyone to just kind of enjoy what we're doing. And so, to me, it's, it's always trying to come up with something that is – Unique, interesting, thought-provoking, that kind of stuff. Are you uh, surprised that some of your catchphrases and just some of your calls have gone viral the way they have? And what's that like? Uh, very surprised. You know, it's uh, I've been in the business for you know, a long time. You know, I've been holding a microphone, doing play-by-play for over twenty years, and I've always just kind of been, you know, a guy hanging out and doing my thing, and. Uh, LaMelo, I think, just changed everything. You know, it's the eyeballs that that guy brought to the table. Just it changed everything. Um, I, I'd like to think I was doing the same thing. You know, when I first got hired in 2015, when I was working with Dell and Stephanie Reddy uh, as a three-person booth, and I just think that people just didn't really kind of, I don't know, just, I don't know, it wasn't a big deal. But now all of a sudden, LaMelo's got people in Kazakhstan, you know, watching, you know, and he's got, you know, sixth graders over in Istanbul who are just religiously Hornets fans. And, uh, you know, the, the old expression, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. And I'm definitely part of that rising tide. 
Well, what's it been like to, as you mentioned, to see the rise in the Hornets from when you first came here, where they were, you know, pretty much just Kimba and, and, and pretty much everybody else kind of getting in line per se, to where they are right now, where they got people coming here via free agency and just the team is exciting in, uh, on national TV. Yeah. Uh, well, my first year was 15-16, and, and the Hornets actually made the playoffs. And they went to the game seven of the first round, and they, they should have won. You know, they had a, a lead on the, the Miami Heat, and then they just kind of spit the bit. So Purple short guy game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a tough pill to swallow. But at the time, I was like, man, the Hornets are going the right direction. But then the difficulty of moving on from Kemba, obviously that was in a couple-year process. But I, I can't begin to tell you how impressed I've been with, with Mitch Kupchak. You know, he clearly has a type. You know, he likes athletic, smart, accountable players. Um, doesn't care if they're first-rounders, if they're pedigree guys, if they're second-rounders, if they're street-free agents. You know, he likes the guys who can play multiple positions. Um, it's really hard to think of a misstep that he has had. You know, I actually went back, and for some reason I was looking at how Cody Martin um, came to the Hornets. Everyone knows he's a second-round pick. But Cody Martin actually was a second-round pick that was – acquired by Mitch Kupchak and the Hornets in the deal that brought Bismarck Biombo back to town when Timothy Mozgov was kind of going places. And so at the time, you know, think Biz came back and say what you want about Biz, you know, serviceable guy. But the real key to that trade was the second round pick attached to it, which turned into be Cody Martin, who is a real big time serviceable player. So the fact that second round picks are now valued and, and it's just amazing that the way that we're finding guys now, on a year-to-year basis that seem like they've got not only NBA futures, but futures with real hope, you know, high-end futures. And uh, so I think that uh, obviously things are going the right way, and it's kind of nice to be part of a franchise that I feel is, is being run the right way. Well, you mentioned that. I mean, you're, you're a busy guy, so I know I won't keep too much longer. I'll get you this last question here. But just um, you mentioned LaMelo earlier. What's it like to not only just call his games, but kind of just see – his vision from where you are. Cause sometimes at home, you guys are obviously up, but we're at the first top of the first concourse, but on the road, you guys a lot of times down courtside, which I like to be personally, cause you get a chance to kind of get the game feel. What's it like to be able to see just his vintage points from your perspective, just his passing, just his game overall was brought to the Hornets so far in this year plus here. Well, number one, I've had to kind of really adjust when it comes to LaMelo because Frequently, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, if it's a 15 point game or whatever, something the game's moving on. And sometimes the play by play isn't always spot on just because I'm asking Dell a question or I'm reading a promo or we're doing something. And with LaMelo in the mix, if he's on the floor, I kind of got to nip that in the butt all the time because you just have no clue when he's going to throw a 75 foot pass, when he's going to do something funky with his left hand, when he's going to launch one up from the logo. So, I've been caught in no man's land a couple of times just because I'm telling some stupid story about, you know, some left-handed player from, you know, Mobile, and he makes this play of the game. And so I just I, – I made a commitment. Okay, calm down. LaMelo's in the game. Let's just enjoy this. And he never fails to disappoint. You know, this guy, he just sees angles that most people don't. And I just find it fascinating. Every single game, it seems like there's a time where he makes a play – where clearly he's in a spot where he probably shouldn't be, but he really should because he's thinking about the game in a different manner than most people. You know, he's not saying A to B to C. He immediately says A is better if I go straight to D and then C. 
You know, he's, he's, he's taking a different path. And to be able to think differently and to have the athletic ability to pull it all off is what makes him super special, you know, because a lot of people can maybe see a different thing, but the kids can't do what their brain is telling them to do. But he's got the brain and he's got the talent and he's got the guts too, you know, the nerve to actually try and pull this stuff off. And the fact that he's only 20 sometimes just kind of puts shivers down my spine. Right, man. You're right. I mean, just such great stuff as always, Eric. Man, I love talking to you, man. And I'm glad to get you my podcast finally because the people have been waiting to get you to break it down for them, man. So once again, thank you for your time, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to have you on again, hopefully soon. Whenever you call, man, I'll always answer. That's what I want to hear. You heard him, folks. You heard the man, what he said. So remember this, all right? Thanks again, Eric. Appreciate you, man. So, to kind of look ahead at where the Hornets are at, as you heard Eric Connells mention earlier, and also as we broke down in our recap and where things stand at the moment, the Hornets have been on the road a lot. And they're just now kind of getting to a point where they're going to start making up some of those games kind of on the back end of the schedule. So, after Christmas and leading to the new year, they're going to play five of seven games at home. You know, they're eight and four at home. Have only played twelve games so far as opposed to twenty two in a row by the time the trip in Denver is done. And it just kind of shows again the unbalanced schedule they've had so far. But it's obviously gonna potentially work out in their favor because they're gonna have several home games over the course of the upcoming months that could work in their benefit as they try to make a playoff push. But to be able to kind of hold serve a little bit and be close to 500 after all they've been through is got to be considered kind of a small win for this team because they've definitely been through a lot having to deal with health and safety protocols and having guys, um, you know, out dealing with the virus and non-COVID illnesses and injuries and all different things, and they're still right around 500. So it kind of shows you that if they kind of can just get things going in motion and sustain a little bit of consistency here and figure out how to keep guys all together um, and hope that the virus doesn't strike anymore, then you look at the second half of the season, especially coming up here in January, where of 15 games, nine of them are going to be at home, including – a four-game homestand, excuse me, a three-game homestand in a row with Detroit, Milwaukee, um, and Milwaukee again. So the Hornets definitely have the ability to maybe make up some ground here. They can just kind of figure out their rotations and figure things out. Now that guys are kind of all coming back from being off, off the protocol list, but you can potentially see a path for them to make a run here at some point beginning potentially in January if they can just sustain some health and just figure out how to correct their issues we talked about earlier, which of course the headliners are defensive breakdowns and their slow starts. They can take care of those two things and draw off the atmosphere they have at home 
where, again, in 12 games, they've won eight of them so far, then this would be a very interesting stretch here going into the All-Star break in February. So at this point, typically in the pod, I usually hit you guys with a random factoid, some nugget to kind of let you chew on something that maybe you can break down and, and figure out um, what it means for the team or how individuals playing, but do a little something different this time. With it being the holidays and Christmas kind of being upon us, I essentially thought it maybe it'd be a good idea to talk to a couple of players and a couple of guys about just maybe what their favorite Christmas present was at some point in their lifetime uh, growing up or even now uh, for all that you know, matters. So I talked to a couple of different guys and I think it's, uh, you know, Terry Rozier was one, Jalen McDaniels was another, but I think of all the guys I talked to, probably the best answer I got was from Miles Bridges. And this is what he had to say when I asked him about the Christmas present. Uh, what's the best gift you ever got that you can remember? Whether it was you know, anything, kid, uh, as adult, just your best present you ever got at Christmas time. I'll probably say my um, my mom. She got me a leapfrog when I was younger, um, and, and it definitely it, it helped me out in school with, with with history and my states and stuff. So that was that was probably one of my favorites that I got. I would have never thought you say a leapfrog. Man. Yeah, that, leapfrog. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, man. yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, my yeah, dog. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. See you tomorrow, bro. Yep. So, yeah, as you can see, that even kind of caught me off guard there for a second. So uh, that's why I always enjoy chatting with Miles. He is, is one of those players who kind of can give you some good insight and you know, allows you to um, show you he's a human being. So I really appreciate Miles um, opening up and let me know about that one. That the, the lead pad thing was, was you know, that's, that's the, you know, the, the leapfrog thing, whatever you want to call it. That, that thing was I remember that because actually my kids had one too. So when you said that, it, it kind of really um, hit home for me. So thanks to Miles again for sharing that with me and sharing it with the audience. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the QC Hornets Nest. I'm Rod Boone. For more Hornets content, check out charlotteobserver.com. And for a special subscription offer, click the link in my stories where it says support my work with a digital subscription. All right, until next time, we out.